Um, if uh, Rudy hadn't told you who I was, uh, you would think that this was a continuation of John's message. That's how the Holy Spirit weaves things together. All right, so this morning, I'm going to talk to you about the two U's. And, oh, you got it. Tomorrow, I'm going to talk to you about the two covenants. And then on Monday, I'll talk to you about something else. Uh, Islamic terrorism, if you're interested. Who's interested in Islamic terrorism? So make sure you're here on Monday. All right, the two U's. Paul wrote two prayers in the New Testament. He wrote more than two prayers. But there are two particular prayers. One was for a bunch of people he'd never met. Another was for a bunch of people that he had molded and formed and matured. He'd never met Colossians. He just heard about them. And I don't know quite a few of you, so I'll pray this prayer this morning. But tomorrow morning, I'll pray the other prayer. He says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask. And I similarly ask the Lord. I ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, I give thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light, because he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Okay, so one hour from now, you will be filled with wisdom and all knowledge. So did you know that there were two U's? Next slide, please. There's the old U and the new U. Next slide, please. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. When we first become believers, we're still in our old flesh. We hear the word of God. It takes root in our hearts. But after we experience transformation, we don't hear that message in the same way. It's completely different. It has a different meaning. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. <clears throat> so, I have highlighted a few words in, the same pas in this passage. If anyone is in Christ, 
Here's a clue to the difference between the new you and the old you. The old you had no Christ in you. The new you has Christ in you. You're a new creation. Old things, <laughs> old things have passed away. All things have become new. So, there are two different people living inside you. There were two different people living inside Peter. The new Peter said, in Matthew 16, you are Messiah. The old Peter said, this shall not happen to you. So I want to turn to Matthew 16 and read this passage. It's familiar, so you should all know it, but it repays um, revisiting. So Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Their answers were all over the place. Who did who did? they think Jesus was. And this was the answer. These were the answers. That happens today. You go to Piccadilly Circus and you say, who is Jesus? They won't have a clue. They say all sorts of things. Same thing happened during his own lifetime. This is an example of a few wrong answers. But there are thousands of wrong answers. And you go to Piccadilly Circus and you talk to 1,000 people, you're going to get 1,000 wrong answers of who Jesus is. He said to them, the disciples, these are people who've been following him for a couple of years now. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So the new Peter said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you. Jesus' response to Peter's statement, you are Messiah, is blessed are you. Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The new you receives revelation. The old you figures things out, uses logic. Verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. The same molecules, the same person, the same brain, the same mouth. But this time he said, this shan't happen to you. He figured something out and disagreed with the course that Jesus was taking. So Jesus' response was, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. 
You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. So don't be surprised when on a typical Tuesday, one minute you say something, and that's the new you talking, and God's response to you is, blessed are you, because you got this from Revelation. And the next minute, you're spouting something, and the response is, you are an offense to me. You are an offense to me. Now, who prays to Jesus? Nobody? <laughs> right. That's talking to Jesus. That's what Peter did. He was chatting to Jesus. He was talking to the Lord. When we do that, we call it prayer, but it's still talking to Jesus. So which of you is talking to Jesus? The one that says, you are Messiah, because we received it through revelation, or you don't want to do that. You don't want to, I don't, you, you know, I'm not going to follow you in that direction because it's obviously wrong, logically speaking. So when you pray, is it the new you praying or the old you praying? Depending on which is praying, you'll get one of two responses from God. Is the old you praying? You are an offense to me. Is the new one? Blessed are you. Have you ever had prayers answered? Did you pray out of revelation? Have you ever had prayers not answered? Did you pray out of your mind? You see the difference? <clears throat> 30 years after Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan, approximately, could be 31st, so don't hold me down on that, the same Peter wrote these words. He'd learnt. He's had 30 years of walking in the new Peter. So by the time he wrote this, he wrote this out of Revelation. He said, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the saying, mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. He's been doing that for 30 years. So he's able to say this out of experience. For we have spent enough of our past lifetimes in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. All right? So you're seeing a picture emerging of a contrast between what it was and what it is for the believer. John wrote this. John also, who'd spent years with Jesus and Peter. It was always Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Rolls of your tongue. And John was there as well when Peter received this revelation and said, you are Messiah, son of the living God. And although it says Peter drew Jesus aside, I wouldn't be surprised if John overheard as well because they were that close. 
So what did John have to say? And this was about 60 years after. This was in the 90s by the time John started writing. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So these were written by the two closest companions of Jesus. Now we turn to something Paul wrote. Paul never knew Jesus, as far as we know, in his own lifetime. So he met him after Jesus' resurrection, which Paul didn't even believe happened. Then he spent a few years in Arabia. And then he started writing. Now, Romans was a letter that was written to um, a group of Christians that he hadn't yet visited at the time. He did go to Rome in the end, but at the time that he wrote it, he hadn't been there. But Romans 6 is very important. He says... Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I've just highlighted, we were buried. We were buried. It's not something we have to do. It's not something we can achieve. It's not something we can attain to. It's an historic event that when you are baptized, you are buried. After you're buried, you, what happens? You walk in newness of life. If you find yourself walking in oldness of life, you're doing the same thing that your old self used to do. You're not living in the newness of life. You're not living in the truth of being or having been buried. It goes on for... If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. He's talking about the old man. But the way Paul describes the old man, he's dead. Not telling Jesus where to go. Now, verse 8, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So he's now talking about the new man knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in 
Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at the highlighted bits. This is what Paul's talking about, the two yous, the dead one and the alive one. If you read the red bits, it says, the old man was crucified. We died with Christ. Reckon yourselves to be dead, that's the old man. This is the new man. You see how the two of them are interwoven in the same passage? So this is a description of the new man. Having been raised from the dead, he lives to God. Reckon yourselves to be alive to God in Christ. Reckon yourselves to be alive to God in Christ. Okay? So there are two yous. The old you is dead in the flesh, and the new you is alive in Christ. You can't mix it up. You can't be alive in the flesh, and you can't be dead in Christ. Don't try it. All right? Sometimes our flesh wants to pretend that we're alive. So we see problems. So we go and solve those problems in the flesh. That's a dead person trying to solve that problem, not somebody in Christ. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh. Pause there for a moment. See, it's interesting, because Jesus' reaction to Peter saying, yeah, you're going in the wrong direction, mate. You want to be heading that way. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. This is what Paul's saying. Somebody is at work on our dead flesh. Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So if Satan is working on the unsaved and the unregenerate, sure as hell, he's going to be working if you walk in the flesh, even though you're saved, you're not immune. Your flesh isn't immune from Satan working on you. Peter wasn't. And yet we have the temerity sometimes to allow the old man to pray to God. We have the temerity to allow the old man to counsel other people. A couple going, going through a patch in the church. So you sit them down and you start talking to them in a fatherly fashion, but it's your flesh. Don't you dare. There's no life in it. And Satan's behind it. And the words that come out may be logical. And the words that came out of Peter's mouth were logical. You can't go and get crucified. That doesn't make sense. But Satan was behind it, those words.
you he made, made alive who were dead. You were dead, but he's made alive. That's the new man. That's the new man. You were dead, but you've been made alive. That's the one that needs to pray. That's the one that needs to talk to other people. That's the one that needs to go and win souls into the kingdom. That's the one that's alive. Back to Romans 6. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So, which of the two use is living your life? The old you? New you? Which of the two users sitting here, listening to me. But it's not just you. Which of the two me's is talking to you now? The problem is both, because we're in a state of transition. We've left there, and we're heading here, but we haven't arrived. And while we're on that journey, we know in principle we're dead to the old self, the old nature, the old man. We know we're alive in Christ now. We already are. Established fact, fact. But sometimes we can flip-flop. We're transitioning. Um, Romans says that. Be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right? Your mind is being renewed. Nobody has a totally renewed mind, if you're a believer, and nobody has a totally unrenewed mind. But sometimes... The unrenewed mind prays. Sometimes the renewed mind prays or talks to other people or relates to other people or worships God. It's a process. Philippians 3. This is the Apostle Paul. He's been writing a series of epistles that we call Scripture. It's canon. It's the Word of God. It's all done through revelation. And yet this man of God says, not that I have already attained. If Paul isn't arrived, but he's left, and he hasn't yet attained, 
we can't as, uh, expect to have already attained at our stage in our life. We're on a journey. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. But, and this is the thing, but, so which direction are you facing? Are you facing in the direction of the old man? Or are you facing in the direction of the new man? But I press on that I may hold, I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind me. Everything he did in his capacity of old man, in his old nature, in his re unregenerate self, he's forgotten it. There's no point dwelling on it and remembering it and saying what a fool I was on the 15th of May 2006. He says he's moved on because he's forgotten what happened in 2006. It's not worth remembering that stuff because it was your flesh doing it. And reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for which the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature. How many of you are mature believers here this morning? As many as are mature have this mind. So this is the, about the third or fourth time I've used the word mind from the scriptures. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So if you're stuck here in the old self and you don't quite understand what I'm talking about, not quite getting it, Paul says God will reveal it to you. Don't worry about it, because your old self won't understand what I'm saying. It's not possible. You can't grasp it. Paul knew that. Paul knew that some people reading this will be reading it with their old eyes, with their unrenewed minds. They'll be reading it in the flesh, they won't understand, but he says, it's, that's cool. God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained. So wherever we are on the journey, we've left Egypt. We're heading towards Canaan. We're here. Wherever we are, to the extent to the degree that we have already attained. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. It's more important for Paul that you're facing the right direction than how far you are on the journey. Are you facing the right direction? Right, assuming that we are on this journey together, what can you expect? What is a renewed mind like? What does it look like? 
Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. You know something? If you work amongst unbelievers in an office or factory or school or hospital or something, you're face-to-face -face with this stuff all day long. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So, in the first, the top half, it's the works of the flesh. In the second half, it's fruit of the spirit. Okay? Works of the flesh, fruit of the spirit. Go back to what Peter said. You are the Christ, son of the living God. That is the fruit of the spirit, because Jesus said that. <laughs> You got that from Revelation. That's the fruit of the Spirit. You get something from Revelation. But the other lot is work of the flesh. Problem is, we can't undertake that journey. John talked about Enoch walking with God. We can't walk with Jesus, follow Jesus, have fellowship in our own strength. Because if the old man is trying to propel us on this journey, it's dead. It won't work. You can't use flesh to put flesh to death. Now, don't get me wrong, flesh will pretend. If you go to the sort of church where uh, lots of people filled with the Spirit and doing things for God, you can fake it. You can read the Bible, quote scripture, volunteer, do things, but is your flesh trying not to be put to death by pretending to you that you're alive in Christ and while you believe your own flesh that it's dead and that you're walking in the spirit, you're not going to do anything about it. The flesh is crafty. Now, in the Bible, there's a picture of walking in the flesh, walking in the spirit, in a quite an unexpected place, as in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 says, now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from Jehovah. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of 
sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to Jehovah. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And Jehovah respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Who understands that story? Who understands why God favored Abel and he didn't favor Cain? You cannot use the flesh to suppress the flesh. That's the sacrifice of Cain. He was in the flesh. The sacrifice of Abel did not involve labor, works, effort. How do I know this? Because it says in Genesis 3, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. It took effort for Cain to produce fruit. Works. You have to work at it. It took nothing to put a ram and a sheep in a field and wait. No effort. No effort. So something that man produced of his own effort, God said, not interested. It's a bit harsh. It ain't fair. But nobody said we serve a fair God. We serve a just God. The word fair isn't fair. It isn't fair that we should go to all this effort to sacrifice to God and he said, I'm not interested. And yet, your brother who did zilch, nothing, No sweat of his brow, nothing. It just appeared. A lamb. Sacrificed the lamb. Hallelujah, everything's cool. See, pre-curse, pre-fall of man, the ground, see, out of the four examples that Jesus quoted, when the seed fell on the ground, only the fourth one fell on good soil, yielding a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. But that's what it was like in Eden. One seed, hundredfold. No effort. God didn't mean for there to be effort. It was the curse that we do things, we work by the sweat of our brow. 
If we're working hard towards it, chances are it's the flesh that we're trying to sacrifice something to God from our flesh, trying to please him from our flesh. Fasting, all-night vigil. Now, Jesus didn't say you don't fast, but he's aware of where it needs to come from. He was challenged. He said, why don't your disciples fast? He said, because I'm here. Now, this transition, this transition can only be by faith and not by works. Just as Abel's sacrifice is by faith, not by works. We can't transition to the new you. All right, so let's say we're on this path, okay? We're doing okay because we've left behind Egypt. We've left behind the old man. We've left behind works of the flesh. And we're endeavoring, as Paul was doing, reaching forward to that which Christ has provided, okay? We're, we're Everything going to be roses? No, because the world will react. They will react because you're not going to be one of them anymore. You're going to be different. Remember Galatians? That first lot? That's what all your friends and acquaintances will be like, but you won't. Now, they're going to think that you're different from them by the works of your flesh. But you know that you can't be different from them by the works of your flesh because it isn't possible. But they won't know that because they know nothing of the spirit. You see the trap you're in if you're trying to interact with the world after your transformation? They're not going to get you because they'll think you got here by a different means, by being a good person, by effort. by trying harder than them, by being religious. Now, if some of them are quite impressed with your life, they may say, well, can I come to church with you? But don't fall into this trap, because what they're trying to do then is they're trying to replicate your life in the flesh, and it can't be done. You need to talk to them and say, that's not what happened. You don't see this person because I'm a good person. You see this person because the bad part of me has been forgiven and been transformed and my mind has been renewed. What did Peter have to say? In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you, speaking evil of you. John, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. They can't hear you. You can say anything you like. Your words of life, spirit-filled, that you got through revelation from God, 
that you're speaking out, you're pouring your heart out, will do somersaults in the air, and by the time it enters their ear, all you're saying is, works, be a good person, stop drinking, stop fooling around, go home to your wife. They're not hearing abandoning your old life to a crucifixion and burial. They're hearing good works because they think that's how you got there, because they don't understand. And this is what John is saying. They're not going to be able to hear you. They can't get the message. Of course, we still preach, we still evangelize, because it has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. So there's got to be a conjunction between what we say and the work of the Spirit in their life. John, remember the word that I said to you. This is Jesus. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Unfortunately, there are Christians, or those who call themselves Christians in the world, that are popular with the world because they do good works and things. But you've got to ask yourself, how true are they to the true faith if the world receives them and accepts them? Are they just being religious? John, again, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us. Because it did not know him. Okay, so what do you make of all this? What is your reaction to the new you? Okay, you're on this path, you're on this journey. Your mind is being renewed. Ephesians says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There is a pool of good works that God has prepared. There is a pool of good works that our flesh wants to perform, Cain and Abel. If we are preoccupied with performing the good works in the flesh, we're never going to get to the good works that God has prepared. We're never going to get there. You need to let go of some good works, vegetables, in order to get to the other good works, live animals. If you have too strong a grip here because you're serving people, you're never going to fulfill your true destiny because God has prepared good works for you that you're not even aware of because you're not looking in the right place. Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead to all that. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And John says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Okay? So, I've highlighted the word faith. It appears twice. Faith. 
faith. That's what Hebrews says about Cain and Abel. Abel's sacrifice was made out of faith. Cain didn't have faith. He had works. The two are not compatible. You can't do works by faith. The works that God has prepared for you, the good works that God has prepared for you, can only be arrived at through faith. Your flesh can't get there. It can't get you. It can't deliver you to that destination. Flesh couldn't get from Egypt to Canaan. They went round in circles for 40 years because there was no faith. Okay. So, to conclude, you can't use the flesh to put the flesh to death. Only the spirit can put the flesh to death. And the only way the spirit can put the flesh to death is by faith. You have to believe that your flesh is already dead. And when Jesus exclaimed, it is finished, the flesh of all believers, past, present, and future, died with Christ on the cross. Any questions? Come on. Yes, sir. Yep. Some of us spend 40 years there. But we get there by God's grace eventually because faith is a gift of God. We can't muster it up. Hmm? Any? You, you can, you can. But if prayer is talking to Jesus, and when Peter talked to Jesus, so let's say it's a form of prayer, his answer was, get behind me, Satan. See? And we're shocked by such responses from God. We're absolutely shocked because we're taught that God answers prayer. Yes, he does. It's not that Jesus ignored Peter, but what he said was contrary to Peter's expectation. Yep. Yeah, I see. Yeah. Yes, yes. You can always revisit and say, what, yeah, who, who was praying? Where was I? Which, which me was praying? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Anyone else? Yeah. Um, prayer and fasting. <laughs> um, okay, there's a much deeper issue here. Much deeper issue. Okay. Just because our target is good works that Christ has prepared for us. Yeah. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Rich young ruler says, good master, what good works must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, why do you call me good? There is only one that's good, and that's God. Jesus is saying, well, why are you using your knowledge of good and evil? See, where did you get your knowledge of good and evil? From the forbidden fruit. So there's a version of good which is from God that comes through revelation, but there's 
a competing version of good that comes from the knowledge of good and evil. And you can't afford to use the knowledge of good and evil to do things for God. You need to rely on the good works that he has prepared for you beforehand. So it is difficult to reject the, your inherent knowledge of good and evil. But you've got to remember that inherent knowledge of good and evil came from fruit that God had forbidden, and it was Satan that wanted Eve to have that fruit, not God. God never said, eat that fruit. Satan said, eat that fruit. Satan wants you to use that knowledge of good and evil to serve God, but you can't. It's the flesh. Because the knowledge, using the knowledge of good and evil brings death. That's what God says. You, on the day that you eat, the day doesn't mean a physical time, the, the occasion when you, in consequence of eating that fruit, you'll die. So if we use the knowledge of good and evil, it's dead works. We, we can't serve God using the knowledge of good and evil. So yes, the, the, the world will see us as doing good things, but we're doing good things according to their knowledge of good and evil. We're doing good things according to what God has prepared for us, having abandoned and put to death our knowledge of good and evil. Just looking at you, yeah. Ah, uh, yes, but then you, that's it. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit has patience in it. So as you walk in the Spirit, everything's to do with walking, like John was saying this morning. You walk, and in that walk, the Spirit bears fruit in your life. That's what you're looking for, for, for the Spirit to bear fruit in your life. Uh, you can't get away from the first paragraph or the bad things by your effort. You can only get, you can only, you're, you're called to walk in the spirit and as a result, you will, the anger will ebb away. Any? Yeah. Dustin, hold on, sorry. Dustin has a... Uh, I, I just remember in one of your Thursday teachings, I don't know if it was on Galatians or not, but you mentioned, and I think we all know this anyway, but the more we spend time with Christ, the less we actually want to be involved in what Christ does. Yes. 
And the more we spend time with Christ, the more we become like him. Yes. We walk with him, we pray with him, we talk with him. The more we want to be like him. And so it's an internal thing that he does. It's just a natural thing. It's just a supernatural thing. Yeah. We just end up falling away from yeah. things like anger, whatever it is, the things that we're dealing with in life. Because mm. we're spending more time with Christ. It's not something that we're doing ourselves. We're not continuously trying to stay away from that stuff. But just because we're in God's presence and with Him the whole time, or a lot of the time, we just end up flowing, not wanting to. Just something that comes out of our mind. It's a supernatural. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyone else? Any other comments, questions? So the, the flesh relies on human reason. Yes. If you're using logic and reasoning, and yes, you, you, you do end up. That's why a lot of religions are very similar at the core. They may have different deities, but it's the same process. It's, it's false. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else? Okay. All right. That's that's right. You you need to be empty. Yeah, yeah. God, yeah. God needs you to run on empty because if you still got something, it won't serve him. All right. I think we're out of time anyway. I'm gonna pray, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we so desire to walk in the Spirit. We so desire to walk in Christ. And may that be true for all of us sitting in this room this morning, that we are in Christ at all times. Thank you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.